morning, Mr. Friedman. This is Mission Control. God. On the platform, you will find an envelope. In the envelope, you will find a picture. It is a picture of a man. This man is God. No, it's not a picture of you. Also in the envelope, you will find a list. A list of commandments. Ten of them to be exact. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to live your life exactly as this man lived his. You must forgive your enemies. More than that, you must love your enemies. You must love your wife and family as he loves them. Unconditionally. Sacrificially. With no regard for yourself. You must live your life perfect and blameless. Free of sin. And this tape will not self-destruct. For this mission is an open invitation to any who would choose to accept it. Good luck, Mr. Friedman. You're going to need it. Whew. If the church of our Lord Jesus Christ would only get honest with itself, I mean real gut-level honest with what the New Testament is saying, specifically in terms of what the New Covenant is calling us to be and to do, then and only then would she be able to stop the charade of trying to imitate God. She could then quit trying to be like Jesus because she would then realize that is an impossible mission. That, in turn, would then lead her to trust Him to live His life as only He can live it through her, with the end result that she could finally become the beautiful bride she was created to be, so that then the world would finally stand at attention and recognize her for who she is, a vessel of His life. God living inside his people, the church. Congratulations, Mr. Freedom. Friedman. You successfully completed the mission. Would you stand with me? Welcome to John 15 and how to live the impossible mission. Our Father... We stand in awe of it. Live your life the way Jesus lived it. Forgive those that hurt you. Love those that are hard to love. With unconditional, sacrificial love. Father, it's an impossible mission. Made possible only by you. As we break open your word today and see how to live the impossible mission, our heart's prayer is that you would enable us to see how simple it really is. This issue of Christianity. And may we see the fallacy of trying to be like Jesus in our own strength. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. And let every saint say it. I can't do this. 
it's just not me. So what I'd like you to do is greet your neighbor with the love of Christ while I get ready up here. Would you do that? John chapter 15. I've waited a, a long time to teach this passage. But i got to be honest with you, I never expected to find what God has been faithful to show us. And I trust that that's been uh, the experience of your heart as we've been able to go through this together. And today we get into the meat of it, and it really is special, because it is so practical. And we need practical, don't we? So I hope by the grace of God to be able to make it as practical as it is in this passage, and let it just say what it says. Let's do a brief review to catch everyone up to date. We began by noting in John chapter 15, verse 1, that Jesus is the true vine, as opposed then to false vines. In other words, he's the true source of life. You and I can get life in other places or certainly try to do it. That's counterfeit life. There's only one place to find real life, and that is in Christ. The Father, it said in verse 1, was the vine dresser or the laborer. Incredible statement that God would labor in his own vineyard. When you're a rich vineyard owner, you hire people to work for you. But not in this case. Father himself is the laborer. And that's because the work is so precious. And it is so precise because the main work of a vine dresser, as we saw, was pruning. That he is going to cut off the dead branches. But he's also going to cut off good branches. Good things in our life that are in fact bearing fruit even. With the goal that the plant would concentrate the life back into the vine itself and you'd have concentrated fruit to bring a greater harvest. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He'll come cutting away the dead things in our life, and we praise Him for that, but He'll even cut away the good things sometimes in an effort to produce concentrated Christ in us. Now, last week we had a marvelous time looking at verse 2, where we saw that with fruitless branches, those that are unable to bear fruit, the Father will come and, please, if your Bible says, take them away, cross that out, and right in the margin of your Bible, lift up. We had a marvelous time seeing that there was no judgment in this context. It's not that God is going to come to your life if you're not bearing fruit and hack you off and get you out of here. That's not a father. The father's going to come to a branch that's not bearing fruit and he's going to lift them up. And that's what the word literally meant. Iro, to lift up. It's the word from which we get airplane. (laughs) See? And the father's not going to cut you off. He's going to lift you up. So that that plant could receive more of the S-U-N. That's what a viticulturalist will do. So Father will do the same thing. He'll lift you up to receive more of the S-O-N. More of the sun. So that you can begin to bear fruit. And we had a marvelous time last week. I got a letter from someone in the body this week. And it was so special. This is what they shared happened. 
They said as we began to teach that passage and we said we're going to go against the grain of what the church has taught for many, many years. But I believe with all my heart it was truth. This person shared in a letter that as we began to teach, they heard a voice in their head that said, that's outrageous. They began to think then, uh-oh, Frank's teaching heresy. But they said as they continued to listen, they said, well, stick it out because we've heard a lot of outrageous things from this pulpit before. So, I mean, so stuck it out, but it wasn't clicking. It wasn't clicking. And so then the person moved from, well, Frank is wrong. Maybe do I'm wrong. I'm not getting it. Maybe it's because I don't have the Holy Spirit. And you see what the enemy was doing with this person? Just like was done with Eve so very long ago. Instilled doubt. And this person was buying the doubt. They said, we went through the whole message and didn't get it until Leslie came up here and sang. And as Leslie was singing, how much the Father loves you and me, it was as if this person wrote that the Father was singing over them. And bringing to their remembrance many times in their life of how when they were fruitless, the Father came and lifted them up. And the message clicked. And this person saw the Father who comes not to take away, but to lift up. So I guess it takes Leslie singing. I thought about having her sing this sermon, but isn't that neat how Father will use different things to open the eyes of the saints? Great time. Well, my friends, we've seen then that this is a parable. And the idea of a parable is that it has one purpose. The purpose is that you and I would bear fruit, which is release release the life of Jesus himself. We're vessels of his life. There is a process to having this come about, and that is by abiding. And that is to maintain an intimate connection with Jesus Christ. Now, salvation is not the issue here. We've said that many, many times as we've gone through this study. So the pruning work of God is not to be confused with the work of God which first brought us salvation. Jesus himself makes that clear in verse 3. Let's pick it up there and read together. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean already through the word which I have spoken unto you. And we'll stop right there. Salvation is not the issue. Jesus makes that clear by saying, you are already clean. Now you might want to circle the word clean and write in the margin of your Bible, pruned. Because it's the very same word we find in verse 2 that he takes the branch that is bearing fruit and prunes it. So you and I have already been pruned or made clean. Now, why do we prune the plant? Why do we prune the branch? So that it will bear more fruit. So pruning is making ready to bear fruit. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, you have already been made ready to bear fruit. Or you have already been made clean. Or you have already been made a branch. And what's he saying? You are already saved. See? Salvation is not the issue in this passage. Jesus himself is reiterating that. It's not if you don't bear fruit, you will not be saved. It's you are already saved, so bear fruit. It's the very same phrase we found back in John 13.10. You remember that. You are already clean, but not all of you. 
There's only a need to wash the feet. You don't have to wash the whole body when the whole body's already been bathed. You remember what we did that day? I think we brought Bruce up here. And we put a white robe on him. We said he became righteous in Christ. Now, as you truck around in this world, you pick up some sins. But when you pick up a sin, it didn't remove the white robe of righteousness. See? All you need to do is get rid of the sin. Sin does not cause you to lose your salvation. That's the point. You are already clean. You just picked up some dirt through walking in the world. It happens. It's the same idea here in John 15, 3. You are already clean. Now, if you don't bear fruit, you're still clean. You didn't lose your salvation. You are already clean. Get the idea? The problem is if you're not bearing fruit, you're not fulfilling your purpose. Well, how did we become clean? Verse 3. You are clean through the word which I spoke unto you. In other words, you heard the gospel. You heard the good news of Jesus as Messiah. And implied here is you believed in him. You became clean. You became a branch in me. So, since you are a branch in me, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Now notice, that is first of all a command. Abide in me. Secondly, notice that the word is meno, and it means to remain or stay connected. Now, instantly, you and I have a problem with what he has just said. We already abide in him. We have already been made a branch. So how can we be commanded to be connected to Jesus when we are already connected to Jesus and can never be disconnected from Jesus? How can he command us to be something we already are? The day you embraced Jesus Christ, you became a branch in him. You abide in him. And now he's commanding you to abide in him. It doesn't make sense. If I went to my son in his room and said, Benjamin, get in your room, he's going to be giving dad some weird looks. I'm commanding him to do something he already is. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? And yet, very clearly in this passage, it's an imperative verb. It is a command. So what in the world is going on here? My friends, there must be two abidings. The word abide must be used in two different ways. It's the only possible explanation. One is it can be used of the idea of our position in Christ, of our being saved. We see that right in verse 2. Every branch in me. But it obviously must be used in terms of a command, in terms of practicing our position. In other words, in terms of producing. Is there any confirmation of this? Well, if you go to 1 John, it says in chapter 4, verse 13, we know that we abide in him because we've been given the Holy Spirit. Is that a reference to productivity? Or to salvation? Yes, yeah, a reference to salvation. The proof that we're saved is we have the Holy Spirit. We know we abide. We know that we're in Him. Salvation. But if you turn around and look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, it says, If we abide in Him, we will not sin. Can that refer to salvation? No. Otherwise, we would never sin. We'd all be sinless, living like Bruce Keeney. Right? Right? That's two nice things I've said about a lawyer. <laughs> One of them's true. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so this is productivity. 
In fact, if you look at 1 John further, we find the same truths in the same verse. 1 John 3.24 The one who abides in him keeps his commandments. Is that salvation? No, that's productivity. We know we abide in him because we have the Holy Spirit. What's that? Salvation. One more, 1 John 2.27 His anointing abides in you. Stated fact. That's a result of being saved. And now he puts in a command, what? Abide in him. That's productivity. Practice. So we see in other scriptures, the, verd, ver, excuse me, the word is used in two different ways. So let me put it to you this way. We already abide in Jesus Christ. Stated fact, the day you accepted him, you became an abider in him. You became a branch. But now we are commanded to practice that position. We are commanded to intimately connect with Him. Say, well, Frank, it sounds like double talk. I'm not getting it. Well, Jesus understands that this is a difficult concept. So when you're a teacher and you're trying to teach a difficult concept, the best thing you can do is give a picture. You knew that was coming, didn't you? He Himself gives the picture. He just didn't draw it. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. All right, let's put a picture up here that I did not draw. I have here a branch. Now let's say to this branch, bear fruit. All right, branch, bear fruit. We say, well, Frank, that's not fair. It needs time. Okay, so let's give it a week. Bear fruit. What's the matter? There's still not enough time. All right, let's give it a year. Bear fruit, branch. Come on now, bear fruit. What's the problem? We can give this plant the rest of our lives, this branch, and it's not going to bear fruit. Why? Because it has been disconnected from the vine. The only way that you and I can bear fruit in the same manner, Jesus says, is to be intimately connected to Him. You say, well, Frank, I just don't get it. I thought we already were. Okay. So that's where Frank has to draw some pictures. Isn't that exciting? This is the way it was for all of us. You and I showed up on planet Earth, according to Ephesians chapter 2, separated from God. Born in Adam. In other words, here was Adam, and he was walking with God, and it was all wonderful, rosy, cozy. Awesome possum. Right? And then what did he do? He ate from the no-no tree, and it says Adam sinned and became a sinner. Now, when Adam... Are you an art critic? Adam then had children with his bride. And what kind of child did he have? One like this or one like this up here? Nice and full walking with God. What kind of kid did he have? He had one like he had become because kind produces kind. It says, in fact, in Genesis chapter 5 that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, but Cain was made in the image and likeness of Adam. See? Kind produces kind. So he had a kid just like this. And Cain had kids, and they were just like this. And we can pass this all the way down to who? 
to you and I. So we were born in Adam, separated from God. Now, Romans chapter 10 and 11 talks about us being wild branches. How's that for a great definition of us? Wild branches. And what kind of fruit does a wild branch produce? Wildness. We've heard some of your testimonies over the years, right? Wild branches produce wild fruit. But what happened is one day we heard the message of the gospel. We heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice here, we can pull off a lot of things as a wild branch. Notice that he's making money. He's buying a house. In fact, he's very successful. He's buying a lot of houses. See? And and he's going to church. And and he's got a wife and kids. And man, he's doing a lot. But it's all being done, what? In Adam. Which means it counts what? Sikkim. Counts nothing. Because it's done in Adam. But we heard the gospel. And so what happened to us then is we believed the gospel. And we came over here and we got, according to Romans 11, grafted in to the true vine, which is Jesus. So that now the life of Jesus can flow through us. Isn't that exciting? And so now, as a branch connected to the vine, we can bear fruit. Now, do you and I produce the fruit? No, a branch doesn't produce fruit. We've already seen that. All the branch is commanded to do is abide in the vine. And what will the life of the vine do? Express itself through that branch and produce the fruit. That is called the abiding of position. That's called being in Christ. Now, in Christ, we will then have the branches that bear fruit. And what is Father going to do with them? Prune them. So that they'll bear more fruit, because that's the goal of the Christian life, is to reproduce the life of Jesus Christ, right? If you've got a branch over here that's not bearing any fruit, it's struggling, its branch is falling down to the ground, it's low, what does the Father say He will do? He'll come to this branch and hack it off. You weren't here last week. What's He going to do? He's going to lift this branch up. Tie it up so that it can receive more of the S-O-N, so that the life of Christ can begin to flow through it and begin to what? Bear fruit, like it was intended to. This is what happened to all of us in Christ here today. Isn't that right? Stop right here. Is there anyone here right now that this has not happened to, but you'd like it to happen? Is there anyone here who's been trucking out here in this world trying to produce life and it's not working? You know deep down inside that there's an emptiness missing. There's a gaping hole inside of you that only God can fill and you're trying to fill it with other things. And right now you realize, hey, you know what? I'm trying to find life in all the wrong places. I'm trying to find love in all the wrong places. And I want to find life and love where it can only be found, which is in God. Is there anyone here that would like to have that happen right now? Anyone here is too shy to lift your hand up? All you've got to do is this. Say, Father, I see it. I see that I'm out here as a wild branch, and it's not working. I want to receive life from Jesus. I believe you, Lord, that you came to die for my sins and to connect me 
to the source of true life. And I receive you as my life. You just do that right where you sit. And the transaction takes place. Isn't that exciting? Well, once that has occurred, I trust then that that's for all of us, we come to the second abiding, which is stay connected. Now, what are we talking about here? Notice again, it's not, we're not commanded to bear fruit. We're commanded to abide. Now, notice the picture. Here we got a branch. Now, all of these people have been, these three different branches, these three different people, have all been put into Christ by virtue of trusting Him as their Lord and Savior. Notice, you can't go back to being in Adam. You cannot be disconnected. He has sealed you. When you take a letter and you seal it, what is that doing? It is guaranteeing delivery. That's what the Holy Spirit has done with you the day you put your faith in Christ. He sealed you, keeps you by His own power, 1 Peter chapter 1, until the day that you are delivered to the Father. Good news. So you are never going to get out of Christ. Once you are in Christ, you're in Christ to stay. You abide in Him. But, notice that these two branches right here are practicing that abiding. One of these branches is not. Do you all see that? So these branches here that are practicing are producing, are bearing the fruit of the life of Christ. These branches are not bearing fruit. So what we have here are the saved and fruitful, those who practice that intimate connection with Christ, but we also have the saved and unfruitful, those that don't practice their intimate connection with Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Abide in me. You already are in me. You can't be in Adam again. But what you need to do if you really want to bear fruit is you've got to walk with me. You've got to practice that intimate connection. Just like a branch isn't going to bear fruit unless it's intimately connected, you are not going to bear fruit unless you're intimately connected with me. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. It's the very same message that we found in John chapter 6. And I'd like you to turn back there. Because this same message is repeated over and over again throughout the Scriptures. It's almost like Jesus really wants us to understand this. What a novel idea. He really wants us to understand what he's teaching. When you really want somebody to understand what you're teaching, and you're a teacher, you know what you do? You repeat it over and over and over and over until people get it. That's exactly what Jesus did. Look at John chapter 6, verse 51, and we'll start there. What does he say? John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread. Hmm. Just like saying in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. See, he's saying the same thing, just a different way, so you and I can get it. If any man, now take your pen out because this is awesome, eats of this bread, he shall live forever. Now, the word eat there is the word phago. You might want to write that in the margin of your Bible, P-H-A-G-O. And what it means is to eat. In the Greek it means to eat. Okay? But it's in an aorist tense. 
And you've been here long enough to know I trust that an aorist tense means it's done how many times? One time with complete abiding results. I.e., Chris, you married Jennifer. How many times did you have to do it to be married to her? One time. So you married her one time and now it's an abiding process and you're very thankful of that, aren't you? See? That's the idea. How many times do you have to eat of Jesus Christ to have eternal life? One time. Eat of Him once and it's an ongoing thing. You've got life. Incidentally, you're a wild branch. You receive Christ. You are now connected to the vine. One time, abiding results. See it? Stated two different ways to make sure we get it. But now skip down to verse 56 because we're going to see an amazing thing. He who eats of me dwells in me and I in him. Notice that it went from eat to eat. From an aorist to a present tense. And also that he changed the word from phago to trogo. You might want to write that in the margin of your Bible. The word trogo means to eat. But it's a special kind of eat. It's a neat word that literally means to gnaw, to chew, to feast. Do you see what he's saying? If you want to have eternal life, how many times do you need to receive Christ? One time. But if you want to experience that life, what must you do, Christian? Feast on Jesus continually. Get the idea? Jesus then becomes the example of this. Verse 57. I live of the Father. He's my source of life. Everything I do has been from Him. Now you live out of me the same way I lived out of the Father. Continually. Get the idea? So you and I eat of Christ, receive Him one time, and we've got eternal life, but if we want to experience the life, we've got to feast on Jesus all the time. That's the same analogy in John 15. The day you embraced Christ, you became a branch connected to Jesus. But if you want to experience that connection, if you want to experience the life of Christ, you've got to practice the intimate connection. You've got to look to Jesus continually. That's why in John 8, verse 31, he said, If you abide in my word, you are... Whoa. You what? Are. What tense? Present tense. Stay with me here. I don't want to lose you and this is too powerful to miss. What in the English language, in our performance-oriented culture that we live in, would we expect to see here? What tense? Thank you. Future. If you study math, you will get an A. If you work hard, you will get a paycheck. If you clean your room, mommy will take you for an ice cream. Everything we live in this world is performance acceptance, performance based. But here we don't read, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. What does he say? If you abide in my word, what? You are. My friends, please clue into this because this is powerful. Christian maturity is instantaneous. 
Ooh, I see, yeah, I see some puzzled looks. Christian maturity is instantaneous. Look, in the world, we make maturity a process. And in fact, it is physically, right? We mature and emotionally we mature. But when it comes to spiritual life, maturity is instantaneous. It is not a process. It is available to us at the moment of abiding. At the moment you abide, what's flowing through you? The life of Christ. Is the life of Christ mature? Yes. So at the moment of abiding, you are instantly mature. See, we've screwed this up in the church. We want to make Christian maturity a process. We want to make it how long you've been a Christian. Oh, I've been a Christian for 20 years now. Uh, you'll be mature one day when you memorize as many verses as I have. You'll be mature when you go to precept Bible studies and we'll mature you. No, my friends, that's earthy. That's carnal. That's fleshly. It's got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, if you abide instantaneously, you are mature because the life of Jesus Christ is flowing through you. We've gone so far in the Christian church to even explain this away. We look at the zeal of a new believer because all they know is, say it, Jesus. And we say, well, that's because they're new. They've got this zeal. Let's give them a little time, teach them enough knowledge to become dangerous to themselves and they'll become anemic like the rest of us. (laughs) It's true. We have gained doctrine and we've lost Christ. And old faith has become cold faith. And that's not how it's supposed to be. The zeal of the new believer is a challenge to you and I to get back to Jesus where we belong. Good night, we've even sung songs about this. About a year ago there was a song out, Lord, take me back to the days when I first believed. Let's explain it away. No, you know what happened to that person? They lost Christ. They forgot Him. I mean, it's all the knowledge they'd gained. They forgot Christ. And you know what happened to me? I'm sitting in the car singing the song. Lord, take me back to the days when I first believed. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God says, Wake up, stupid! I don't want to go back to the days when I first believed. It cost me too much to get to the intimacy that I've got now. Do you see that? Christian maturity is instantaneous, my friends. It is available at the moment of abiding. See, there's two kinds of life. In the scriptures, there's bios life and there's zoe life. Bios life is life as we live it. It's the word from which we get biography. Then there is zoe life, which is life as God lives it. All that an unbeliever can have is what? Bios. He gets up in the morning, he shaves, he showers, he goes to work, he does his job, he comes home, packs the kids hugs the wife, does the thing, that's by us. That's all they've got. A Christian, however, has added Zoe to the bios. Now, please understand, this is not either or. It's not bios or Zoe for a Christian. It's bios or Zoe-infused bios. Let me explain. As a Christian, you can choose to not walk intimately with Christ. What will you end up with? Bios life. You'll get up in the morning, you won't think about God, you'll just trudge through the day and it's all bios. 
Or as a Christian, you can get up and say, Father, without you I can do nothing. I'm going to trust you to live through me. I'm going to saw this piece of wood. Thank you, Father. I'm trusting you to saw this. How should I do this, Lord? Show me. And see, what happens is not that you have Zoe right there, but that you have Zoe infusing the bios. Get it? The life of God begins to be expressed through your bios life. So that your hands become His hands. Please don't hear me incorrectly here. I'm not saying you become Jesus. That's heresy. But in a very real way, your hands become the hands of Christ. Your lips become the lips of Christ. He infuses your bios life with His own life. And the Christian life becomes supernatural instead of cerebral. It becomes experiential instead of doctrinal. It becomes real instead of positional. And you walk with Him. It's an incredible thing. Let me put it to you this way. Christian maturity is not an issue of quantity or duration. My friends, I've met Christians that have been Christian for 40 years and you know what I would have to tell them if I was going to be brutally honest? You are a babe. Because you don't abide. Oh, you've memorized 50,000 verses, but there's no love, gentleness, patience, kindness, and meekness coming out of your life. You're a walking Bible concordance. You know the doctrine. But I don't see God in you. Christian maturity is not an issue of quantity or duration. It's an issue of quality and devotion. It's the kind of life that gets expressed through you as you cultivate that intimate connection with Christ. Well, the perfect example of this is the twelve apostles. Man, they ran and hid. Jesus got crucified. What happened to those guys? They scattered. No understanding. Dull. Could have had a V8. Missed the whole point. Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. He dies. They panic. What did he say? I told you this beforehand, so when it happens, you'll understand. But they don't understand. Until what? Forty days later, the Spirit of God, the person of God, came to live inside of them. And instantly, there was understanding. And instantly, these babes, because they had just been born again, right? Stood up and went into the streets of Jerusalem and heralded and stood amidst the opposition. What happened? They, they learned to abide in Christ. And it was what? Instantaneous maturity. Now, do you realize what this means? If you don't practice abiding, what do you instantly have? Instant immaturity. Would any of you like to testify? You see... This is the way we live the Christian life. It's instant maturity, instant immaturity. Whether Based on whether you abide or choose not to abide. Well, what then becomes the six million dollar question? What is it? How do we then abide? Somebody want to close in prayer? We'll go home. This is the key. A branch 
Where does a branch look to to get its life source? From the vine that it's attached to. It's that simple. Look to Jesus as your life source. How often does a branch look to the vine as its life source? All the time. So what is the answer to that? Look to Jesus as your source of life all the time. At the moment you fail to do that, you have failed to practice the abiding that you already have. Let me read to you this author. The Christian has been placed in Christ. That is his position. In daily walk, he needs to stay in intimate fellowship with Jesus. A branch abides in the vine by drawing all its life and nourishment from the vine. So we are to abide in Christ by spending time in prayer, reading, obeying his word, fellowship with him, and being continually conscious of our union with him. As we thus maintain constant contact with him, we become conscious of his abiding presence in us. It's practicing the presence of Jesus, as Brother Lawrence wrote years and years ago. It is not a question of the branch living its life for the vine. Go live for the vine. Where do you hear that these days? That's taught in church, isn't it? Go live for Jesus. That's not it. It is simply us letting the life of the vine flow through the branches. Sometimes we pray, Lord, help me to live my life for you, but it would be better to pray, Lord Jesus, live your life through me, for without you I can do nothing. See that? See, God's not going to answer those help me prayers. Father, help me to love Janet better. Do you realize he doesn't want to help me to love her better? Because my love is not good enough for that part of the bride of Christ. You see that? He doesn't want to help me love her. That's a prayer that's never going to get answered. How many of you have been praying that prayer for a long time? Help me love him better. Why won't he answer that prayer? It's against the grain of the new covenant. He doesn't want to answer that prayer. What he wants me to pray is, Lord, will you live your life through me and love her through me with your love? Because your love is what she deserves and it's what she needs. See how that works? Well, I want to make sure that you really understand this and get this. So... What I need to do is to share with you this. I believe with all my heart that the key to this is the morning. I really do. In fact, we'll put this on the overhead for you. The key is the morning. Now, I'm not talking morning devotions in terms of something I do to feel better about myself, which is why a lot of us do morning devotions. There, I've done it. Aren't you proud of me, God? I'm proud of me. See? And not morning devotions in terms of earning brownie points from God, nor morning devotions in terms of manipulating God. There, God, I've done it for an hour. Not enough? I'll do it for two hours tomorrow. See, when is enough enough? You know when enough is enough? 24 hours a day. But I really believe that the key is the morning in this sense. That in the morning when I wake up and I, the first thing ought to be, Father, I face another day. I can do nothing apart from you. Oh, I can do a lot. But nothing of eternal value because it will be me doing it. But the truth is, I can do nothing in the kingdom apart from you. So, Father, here we go. Now, what I want to do here is I want to illustrate it from the life of a man in our church named Michael Word. I was going to use one of you attorneys... But, you see, attorneys have something very um, positive about them. See, it's twice in one day, Bruce. This is exciting. They are ministering in a court of law, righteousness versus unrighteousness. 
They're trying to uphold righteousness. That's a very meritorious thing, isn't it? Isn't it? That's exciting. Thank God for those lawyers. But you see, Michael is a stockbroker. All Michael does is handle filthy lucre. Money. And every day of his life is concerned with what? Making money. And what I want to do is I want to contrast Michael Word, that salesman of money, with Frank Friedman, the anointed servant of God. Now, Michael deals with money. The anointed servant of God deals with people who alone are eternal. See, money is going to burn up, but all people live forever. See, so I handle the eternal things. The earthly things. Michael deals with stocks I of course deal with God and people Michael works at a bank whereas I work at the church building you see now let me contrast for you our two days Michael he gets up at 8 a.m. but Michael has learned the secret of abiding so he says something like this Father Good morning. Thank you for this day. You know, I can do nothing apart from you. So, Father, I trust you completely throughout this day. He gets up and he, he says, Oh, I, I'm late for work. I've got to be there by nine, you know. So he doesn't have time to make coffee for Catherine. Actually, Catherine's been up since six, and she's already made the coffee for him, see. So he gets up, and he, he heads on his way to the, the freeway and, and up there, and, and he gets a phone call from one guy. I've got $50,000 to invest. And Michael says, well, okay, let's see. Um, let, let's think about that, Father. I, I, I don't know what to invest this in. Would you please lead me and guide me? And uh, You know, I think this would be a good stock for you. And and then another one comes in at 10 o'clock and, and I've got $400,000 to invest. And Well, Father, I, I don't know what to do with this, but you know stockbroking. You know the market. I trust you, Father. And, and so this would be a good stock. And Well, you know what happened. That stock went down, see. But Michael was trusting the Father, see. And this is, goes on and on throughout the day. And, and lo and behold, he has one guy come in and, or makes a phone call and Michael puts him in a stock. And, and, you know, the market is these days. 20 minutes later, it shoots up and he just made $100,000 for the guy. Well, thank you, Father. And, and this is Michael's day. Handling filthy lucre. Contrast that with me. I got up at 5.30 a.m., because I had so much to do today. Got a sermon to work on. So I, I just hop out of bed and quickly make the coffee for Janet because after all, that's a neat thing for her. And then I head to the church and I'm working on my sermon and I've got my, my mind is buried in the Word of God. Oh, look at that Greek word and, and look, oh, how that's used there. And, and, uh, and then a person calls up. Oh, we've got a crisis in our marriage. Well, sure, come on in. I'll squeeze you in amongst my busy day. And, and they come in and I hear their story and, and I've got this tremendous 
wealth of um, resource from the years of studying the Word of God and, and I'm able to just give them the truth and they apply the truth. They get set free and their marriage is healed, you see. And, and then I get a troubled teen later that day as a parent brings them in at the end of their rope and, and I fix that one and, and I go through the day doing all these wonderful... And then a person comes in and I lead them to Christ, you see. So contrast the end of the day. Michael made $100,000 for 20 of his different customers. There are now three people in the kingdom because of me and two marriages healed. Who had the fruit? Michael had the fruit. Because he was abiding in Jesus Christ. Who ended up with nothing? Frank. We need to start thinking like this. Because the church has done something really silly. We've set something apart called the ministry. And I'm a lay person. Bull. In the ministry, I can perform all day out of my own strength and not give a thought to God and abiding in Him and produce absolutely, say it, nothing. I'll never forget Major Ian Thomas when he was here because I came to understand this truth of the New Covenant abiding in Him about ten years ago. But before that, coming to understand, man, I did a lot of labor for God. And I pulled Major Thomas aside one day and said, Major Thomas, you know, before I understood the message of the New Covenant, man, I I did a lot for God. Do you think there's going to be any reward for that? And the good Major said, Oh, yes, there will be. A pile of ashes, son, a pile of ashes. He said, Isn't it wonderful that Father's true to His Word? So thank you. Go back to Denver where you came from. No, but this is the truth, my friends. Do you realize what the New Covenant has done? It has elevated you. There is no such thing as a professional ministry and a lay ministry. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you abide in Him, Rick, and hammer your nails, the life of Christ flows through you. And you become a minister of the gospel where you are. And dear lady, if your job is changing diapers, you are doing that with the life of Christ flowing through you potentially. And you become a minister of God, bearing fruit, releasing His life to those little lives. Don't you see? And this is what Jesus is saying. You can either choose to abide in me and the life will be reproduced in you or abiding in me as a saved person, you can choose not to abide and you'll go your whole life producing nothing. Oh, you may lead people to Christ and there may be people in the kingdom because of you, but God will save them in spite of you. Let me leave you with this. Because it's the greatest analogy I know of. Abiding is like a marriage. I think with all my heart, that's why God gave us marriage. To teach us about union. Because we are such proud, independent, self-oriented people, we'll never understand it without the daily object lesson. How many of you know that you can at a moment in time say, I do? And it's done. But if that's all you ever do... You will be married, all right, but you will never experience union. 
In order for you to experience union, you have to cultivate that relationship on a daily basis. Right? And if you don't do that, oh, you've got the contract, but you've got no experience. It's the same way with Jesus. You may have embraced Him at a moment in time. You're saved, you're in the kingdom. But what a tragedy to go through your whole life never experiencing the kingdom. That's only going to come to those who abide. To practice a daily, intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sense? Father, I trust that your Spirit has made that clear in spite of the earthly vessel. I trust that your Spirit has opened everyone's eyes to the fact that we are secure, we abide in you. But the Father, we've got to practice that we've, in order to experience it. We've got to walk it or we'll have no life. Without you, we can do nothing. Father, may your Spirit prompt each and every one of us in this area. We'll trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. David, keep that tape rolling for just a minute because, you know, let me just offer you a suggestion. It's hard to wake up and have your first thought be God. I, I mean, when I first wake up in the morning, my first thought is, oh, gosh, another day. Okay? Maybe what you want to do is write it out on a 3 by 5 card and put it on your mirror because as human beings, there's one place we're going before we go out of the house. And you can just put it right on the mirror so that you're confronted with it. Reminder, dummy, without me, you can do nothing. I really meant it when I said it. See? And then that can turn your mind towards God and it will start you in the morning. Because you know what the truth is? We are so fantastically created in His image that it's actually a curse for us. We can do so much without ever even thinking of it. And you don't want to go halfway through the day before you realize, whoops, I never communed. See, communing is 24 hours. So start. That maybe will help. Put that on the mirror. Put it in the mirror in your car because that's the place we usually forget about abiding. Right? Right, Janet? We normally forget about abiding when we drive. Right? That's not for her. That's for me. (laughs) So I hope that helps. This, in fact, I think gives us the insight into what verse 6 is talking about, which we'll look at next week. What happens when a branch doesn't bear fruit at all? We'll see that next week. We have some visitors here today. We want to. Uh...